0: To all points
1: unknown, you are tuned in to the broadcast of Outpost 127, sending out an encouraging message on these airwaves to you, the sojourner, the misfit, and the wanderer, standing firm, side by side, for the faith of the gospel.
0: What happens when you have a career as a dental hygienist that spans for over 20 years, but leaves you feeling unfulfilled? Perhaps you seek the wisdom of your pastor, and perhaps your pastor tells you that God has something greater for you. Well, that's the story of my next guest, Amy Jo Hush. Now, while I haven't known Amy Jo very long, her energy and desire to serve others around her are contagious and I wanted to learn more about her story. So enjoy this interview with Amy Jo Hush as she talks about a surprising journey to find her greater calling. Well, hey, Amy Joe. I want to welcome you into the outpost this evening, and I want to thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me here, and I'm excited.
0: Yeah, and I know, uh, as you said, this is the first time you've done this, so yeah. uh, it's good. We're just going to have a conversation as always, and just uh, and and I was telling Amy Jo uh, before tonight, it's kind of cool because I've known you now for, I don't know, since we've been uh, going to church together for a couple of years, I guess it yeah. is, or a year and a half, um, but I don't really know your story. (laughs) And so, uh, guided, put you on my heart to, um, have you on, uh, Albus 127 and I'm looking forward to hearing the story tonight. Alrighty. Yeah. So we'll just jump right into it. So actually one of the things we always ask to get started is, is beginning the evening, uh, by letting our audience get to know you a little bit. So just, if you could just tell uh, us a little bit more about yourself.
1: All right. Well, um, I am originally from a small town in South central Pennsylvania. Mm. Um, probably the nearest town anybody's ever heard. Maybe Johnstown, if you're like the Johnstown flood, uh-huh. yeah. um, okay. about 30 minutes from there. Um, uh, grew up there, lived there till I was, I got married at 23. Um, I married a military guy. So we lived in New Jersey for about 10 years mm-hmm. and then we moved here almost 20 years ago.
0: Okay. Um, so from military, you moved
1: military, to San Antonio. Moved yeah. to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I was a dental hygienist, Um, I went to school to be a dental hygienist, that's part of my story about my job, but um, I was a dental hygienist and then um, just through circumstances um, and a a divorce and things and everything evolved um, from there to where I am today, but I um, I have a daughter, she's 24.
0: and she's on her own, so she's doing great. Great. Yeah, yeah, she's so great. She's so uh
1: also that's what everybody says. Yeah, she well, yeah, I know.
0: You, you you live with her, so I understand kids sometimes look different to us than uh than than others, but uh yeah, well, she always has a smile on her face anyway oh. when I see her on Sunday mornings. So okay, so um I know that your background you just mentioned is uh was a dental hygienist, but you're currently working at the State Supported Living Center. Um, And can you tell us a little more about that mission of the center and maybe what your role is there?
1: Sure. Um, So I work at the San Antonio State Supported Living Center. It is one of 13 facilities in the state of Texas that houses um, individuals with intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. So they, they reside there. Um, they get all their services, like their dental, their me- medical, psychology, psychiatry um, training. And the, the mission of the um, facility uh, is to prepare them so that they could live in the community in what would be, quote, unquote, a less restrictive setting. Um, and so we do trainings. We do a lot of behavioral um, hoping skills, things like that, um, to help these individuals be able to go out and, and work in the community, mm-hmm. um, live in a community, whether that would look like uh, in a group home or a foster home, or um, we've even had a few go out and live in an apartment on their own okay. and right. they get a job and they and they do all those things. And so it's really to be a short-term facility, it's mm. not supposed to be something where they live there for a long-term thing, um,
0: but- what's, what's the average length of time usually?
1: Well, <laughs> huh. um, we just had a, a girl, actually she left today to give, and she was there two years, mm. um, but then we've had some there that are there from the beginning of time when they started in the, in the early 80s. So it depends on on really on, on what supports are out in the community uh, and what we can okay. find for them. Um, that particular caseload that I have, because um, I am a case manager, they are usually more m- medically fragile. So they have G-tubes or feeding tubes. They have um, trachs and things of that nature. So it's hard to find supports for them in the community. So they are more long-term there. Uh, but like the younger ones that we've been getting in the most recent years where we're able to, to kind of teach them what they need to go and to go out into the facility or out into the community. I'm sorry. Um, so it's usually for them, it's about five years or so. Okay. Um, but use the ones that have been there for a long time. Um, I've been there for a long time for other reasons. It's not that they can't do the, the skills. It's that there's just not the supports out there.
0: And what is your caseload usually look like, like how many?
1: I have, well, <laughs> I currently have 21. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, so we went through some staffing changes and so we are probably, it's about, it's to be about 18. So in the next few months I'll be offloading some more. So we will be down to 18. Okay. Um, but it's, but my, again, my, it's, and it all depends um, cause mine have less behavioral, it's more medical. Right. And so it's not as it can be not as heavy mm-hmm. as as like somebody has a lot of of individuals that have psychiatric issues and behavioral issues. that they're, they're more heavy heavy of a caseload. Sorry, I talked with my hands. Right. No, right. um, so there's a little more heavy of a caseload as far as okay. trying to do things. So it depends. Um, but I, I I will stay with my medical people. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like my, my medical people. Um, but my job title is actually called I'm a Qualified Intellectual Disability Professional. Okay. And um, we shorten that for Q. Um, we, we're called Qs. Um, and we really just set goals. We're one of the big things that we do is we set goals for the individuals um and then set the plan in place for them to reach those goals which will then Mm. lead them to be um be able to go in the community one of the big big ones is to get them to be able to work in the community okay um whether it's at um a workshop type area or you know we have people that work at peter piper pizza Mm. um or me um, think where else somebody else where Peter Piper Pizza, um, Walmart. Okay, yeah. Those types of jobs where they can just do something that matches their skill set. And then, then once they can do that and learn some money management skills, then they move them out um, again until either other group home or whatever they can find that they feel comfortable in.
0: Is, is the goal setting done by you or is it done in conjunction with a number of different people Not, yeah
1: so we have yeah. an interdisciplinary team uh-huh. um, and so it's it's so the goals the, the goals that come from you we do what's called a preference and strength list so we look at what they prefer mm. to do what they like you know kind of like you would set your goals sure um, and then um, we discuss it as, as a team and on that team is the individual um, if the individual has actively involved family members. They're they are part of the, what we call the team. And so together we come up with these goals and this, the plans to help them reach those goals. Um, and we do it in five um, categories. One is like leisure rec, the fun goal, um, relationship goals. So you can learn, teach them relationship goals, um, work and programming, independence and living. So eventually their living goal is that they will live where somewhere other than the San Antonio State Support Living Center, but we do a lot of things in preparation for that. Okay. And gotcha. their like goals are like three to five years, mm-hmm. one to three, three to five at the most with COVID, it kind of messed mm-hmm. some of that up. But um yeah, so we try to really set a reasonable time for them to be able to work on those goals and and accomplish them. And and that's probably the greatest part of part of my job is is watching somebody achieve a goal and be excited about yeah, it. Yeah
0: that I I was gonna say I can't imagine that I would imagine setting the goals and then seeing them accomplish yeah. that. And then, you know, would be incredible now. Okay. Now you said dental hygienist a while ago, mm-hmm. and then you've <laughs> now been here for how long?
1: Well, I've worked at the center for almost 13 years, okay. but I started there as a dental hygienist.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I want to hear this story so, now.
1: Um, Like I said, we moved here about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went through a divorce and through that course of the divorce, I, Needed to work full-time. I didn't work full-time when I was married because um, my daughter was young. But um, so I needed to work full-time and I needed benefits. And I was working at a private practice and didn't really like it. And I was really, like, never really in love with dental. But at the time when it was time to make that life decision of what you want to do, there was a lot of other things going on. Um, and college, just like a four-year college, just wasn't in the plan. Okay. And so it was like hey, go to dental hygiene school, it's two years, you can make a lot of money, it's cool, you can work hours, whatever you want. And it was, I mean, it, it, that's all true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a bad career, it just wasn't what really will I really to do. Um, but anyway, so long story short, you
0: tell people to make sure you they floss. Oh yeah, that's what my yeah. <laughs>
1: that's, that's what my dental know,
0: hygienist always tells me. Tell it's
1: them so, to yeah. fly. I mean, It's you know <laughs> it's just one of those jobs where it's just like they come in every six months and yeah. It's like, yeah, oh. yeah. So anyway, so I was working and I wasn't really happy, and my aunt was like, "Why did you look at the state for a job?" And I'm mm. like, "I don't dental jobs at the state." Mm. Like, wait. she's like, "Yeah," because she worked for her. She lives in Delaware and she worked for her at the state. She's like We dental hygienist, so I'm like, all right, so I feel right. like I'm going to prove you wrong. This is Texas. We don't do this, <laughs> but anyway, I pull up. Sure enough, there was this job, and um, I applied uh, within a day. The dental director um, called me for an interview, and within a day, I went and got a, had an interview, and we he called me back, and we talked about it. He gave me the offer and all that, and I was like, well, let me think about this because I don't know, and I, I have to say that um, part of my journey with this is that, you know, I accepted Christ when I was 13 years old, um, and strayed so far away from God. And I'm now I'm like in my mid thirties and I'm like lost, I'm divorced. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I was just like, Lord, I just need, at that point, I was like, I need to go back and, and start over with you. And so we're going through this and I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to do. The pay was less. Um, it was, it's on the South side of town. So uh-huh. it's, it's further from like being right here. Um, I, you know, I, you got paid once a month and I was just like, I don't know if I can do this. This is just crazy. And so I kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. And I, and I'll never forget the phone call. Cause I was dropping Hannah off at soccer practice and it was like six 30. And the guy calls me and I'm like, oh, I gotta answer this phone call. Cause like, we've been playing boat tag for like three, three, four days now. And I said, Hannah, so I got to call and let this guy down because I'm not taking this job. It's just too risky for me. It's just too risky, and uh, she, you know, she was eight. She's like, okay, whatever, and she gets out of the car, right? And so I pick up the phone and I was like, hey, and he's like, hey, and he's like, so I'm just wondering what your decision is, and I'm like, yeah, um, uh, I'm gonna take the job, and I was like where did that cut like I like literally like looked around and I'm like where did that come from and he was like great that's awesome he was like you know and here's how it's gonna work and he's like so this is like the end of April and he was like we really can't get you Um, starting till September. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, so you have time to kind of figure all this other stuff out. Because what happened was, um, the facility did not have a dental clinic at the time on on the campus, they went to the state hospital, which Mm -hmm. was adjacent to where where we were. Um, But through some things, they have mandated that they had to have a clinic, well, they didn't have a clinic, so they didn't have Anything. So they really didn't have anything for me to do. So there was no point until the clinic opened and they were projecting that to be se- September. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I can get through the summer, you know, whatever. So, like three days later, he's calling. He's like, hey, you have 30 days of training you got to do. So, can you start August 1st? And, and then I was like, 30 days of training. What am I getting <laughs> into? Right. Like, this is like I know what I'm doing I've done this for 20 years uh-huh. and he was like no it's with the facility like you mm-hmm. have to go through their training I'm like okay I knew August 1st like I still have you know a couple months a couple days later he, he called me back and he was like can you start the 1st of July and I was like <laughs> Sure. Like, I mean, I'm like, I have no plans for life or anything right now. I'm like, sure. He's like, because I'm taking a vacation in August and I we need somebody to be here to cover mm-hmm. because we have mm-hmm. to have these dental things. And and he said, in, in our reality, I need your input because like we really built this clinic from the ground up. He's like, I don't really have what you would want hi- on the hygiene side of it because a lot of people don't understand dentistry is dentistry and then there's hygiene and it's like oh, okay. two separate things like Mm -hmm. I use totally different instruments I have total different supplies and all that stuff and he's like I really don't know what that how to do that and I'm like okay so then like another week I think went by because right now we're like mid-May and he's like can you start June 1st because I just want you over here to help me because I just I'm just need to do this and I was like sure (laughs) so um in a two weeks amount of time, I went from oh, like yeah. yeah, I started June first. Okay. I went through the thirty days of training. I did some training um at the hospital to to learn, you know the, the individuals and then how things are it's different. they're in they're in wheelchairs. They're, mm-hmm. they the wheelchairs sometimes don't tilt the way you need them to be, you know all those types of things. Um, it was a whole it was a, the largest learning curve I've ever had in my life. Mm. and so we I worked with them for a little bit and then, We started setting up the stuff for the clinic and ordering supplies and um, setting up charts. And I mean, I was like, I had an administrative side of it. It wasn't just all clinical. So it was like a great learning curve. And like I sat and I would read everybody. At that time, we had 380 some individuals on campus. And I read everybody's medical history. And if I didn't understand with something, I Googled it because I didn't know. Or I would ask somebody because I I wanted to know as much as I could about these people because I needed to treat them and I needed to know how to do it mm. properly. So through all of that, like I just said, I asked God to do it and he did it. Right. Wow. And, um, and I immediately fell in love with the population. <sighs> and that was just like my thing. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, these people are like the greatest. This is, mm. this is the best. And, uh, I did a lot of on hands in the training staff like learning how teaching them how to brush somebody else's teeth it was just like all of this stuff that was new and different and it was exciting it was great Uh seven years later i'm but i'm still not in love with doing like it still wasn't Uh like Uh dentistry but the longer i was on the facility and i learned about the different things that were going on above and beyond my little dental clinic bubble um I was like, this is really cool. They're really doing things with these people. Like, you can really change their lives. You can make them, you know, hmm. something meaningful for these people that are, are essentially institutionalized. You yeah, know, yeah. let's make something out of them. And so, um, so it was just, I just wasn't happy, and I yeah. knew I wasn't happy, but I, but I didn't know what to do about it. And so, um, and then I had some. Other conf- conflicting things that occurred in the in the um, in the dental clinic. Personnel wise, personalities just didn't match, and it was really getting stressful. And the pastor before us, or before Justin, Pastor Doug, um, he had been counseling me all these years on getting through all the hard things in life and trying to get resettled and restructured in life and doing things. And he kept telling me for a long time that you there's something greater out there for you. Hmm and you need to go back to school. And I'm like, I can't go back to school. I'm, I'm a single mom. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have the money. I don't have the time to go back to school and get a degree. I'd already gotten my bachelor's degree and I had gotten my bachelor's degree in like organizational communications. Cause I just really was at that point when I started that was I wanted to teach. I wanted to go be a teacher okay. so I could be home with my daughter and all that stuff. Um, and, and I got that, got that, but it, then it just never materialized because of other things. But, um, he could, but Doug kept saying, just go back to school, just go back to school. And I'm like, I can't go back to school. I can't go back to school. Like I just kept fighting it the whole time. And so when I got to this point where I was absolutely this job, had affected my health. My, mm-hmm. I was stressed all the time. I was working crazy hours, just trying to keep my head afloat and just trying to be like, okay, this is where I need to be. Um, it was not where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the, there was, well, there was a point where, um, I had to make a decision. And so I called, I called dog. I'm like, Hey, do you think I could give a two weeks notice? And he was like, Hey, do you have another job lined up? And I'm like, no, <laughs> and he was like, then no, yeah. <laughs> see if they'll take a 30-day notice. Mm-hmm. And so I went in and I talked to the medical director. And I'm like, hey, can I, I, I just got to get out. Can I have a third, give you guys a 30-day notice? I'll write one out by end of the day. But I, I got to get out of here. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, I'll take your 30-day notice. And I said, okay. So here I am. Um, at close to, closer to 40 than my 30s. Um, my daughter's a freshman in college. And I just essentially quit my job with her. Nothing. Mm. Like, you know, mm. nothing mm-hmm. lined up. And so, you know, I'm, like, just calling HR. I'm trying to figure all this out. I applied to 10 dental offices the first week I was – um that I'd done that. I'm, like, surely. I have 20 – at that point, I had 26 years of experience. Somebody's going to hire me, right? This is no big deal. Like, no big deal. So I went, like, one week, nothing. I was, like, well, that's weird. So I kept applying. I applied to other ones. But this – um the Q coordinator, the, the lady in charge of the Q department, um, had talked to me a little bit. And she I had known her through the years. She worked there as long as I had, and we had a good relationship. And she was like, What do you want to do? And I said, You know, could I be a queue?" And she was hmm. like, I think you'd be a really great Q. Hmm. But I don't have an opening right now. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, then what? And she's like, Well, I don't know. <laughs> and then, like the next day she called me, she's like, Hey. I don't have a cute position open, but I'm pretty sure there were some people it was like on the fence of, you know, it's 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 not a job for everybody. And mm-hmm, so she's mm-hmm. like, I'm sure there's somebody's gonna be leaving soon, but I need an admin. Would you like to be my admin? And I was like, sure. So she's like, come to my office after work. So I get off work, I go to her office. And then she says, Well, I don't know what you may really make now, but this is what you're gonna make as an admin. And I was like, that's like less than half of what I make now. Mm. And I'm like, i tight on a budget now. Mm. I don't know how I can live on that. And she was like, well, I'll try and I'll work with, with the money lady at the, at the office and see what we can do. So well, let me think about it. <laughs> so we go on. And then like later that week, I ran into um, the... Uh, the lady that her she's the administrator for the finances and she's like i heard you you're you're, i am sad you're leaving and i said yeah i said i just can't do this anymore and i said you know she's like but are you gonna take that admin position and i said are you gonna like bump the pay up and she was like i can't do that and i was like are you sure you can't bump the pay up Mm -hmm. (laughs) she was like no and i was like okay well no i'm not gonna take it so the next week I ran into her and she said, are you still not taking that job? Do you have anything? I said, I don't have a job. I said, you know, I'm doing this on the faith of God. God told me to leave. He told me, is he, I felt like I was in, in the desert. He told me to get out of the desert. I'm trusting God. She's like, all right. So I actually did fill out the paperwork. I applied. I did an interview just in case, you know, could be just a temporary thing. I could get through to find something better. Um, but on the 29th day, oh, she finally, I saw her another time, and and she was like, you know, you're you're like the guy in the flood where they send the boat, and they send, you know, the ladder, and then the helicopter. She said, you're about to the helicopter. <laughs> and I said, I am. I am at the helicopter. So on the 29th day, I accepted the job <laughs> because I had nothing else. Sure. So I took the job. Um, and... Huh. Um, I was like, okay, this is I'm gonna do this. And it was great. It was like actually refreshing because mm. it was so much different. The pressure was so much less. And it was just one of those things where like I could go in, I did my job, and it was nothing, you know, um, that big of a deal. So um, I don't know, I was a, i was an admin for like a couple months and sure enough a queue quit, mm. left. And so in the meantime, we went from being under the dad's to this was, as a Department of Aging and Disabilities umbrella to under the HHS of Health and Human Services umbrella. Okay. Well, their initial criteria are different. And so my bachelor's degree did not qualify me to be a Q. And um, I was like, are no. you kidding me? Like, huh. here we are. Huh. And we worked every angle on it. And they're like, no. And so I go back to Pastor and I was like, I, I can't be a Q. And he said, no, you can be a Q. You need to go get your degree. And so I was like, <laughs> "Okay, I don't have an excuse anymore because my daughter's, you know, in Houston, and mm-hmm. you know." So I applied, and I got into grad school at Grand Canyon University. Um, and I um, it took me two years in the midst of like COVIDish, um, and I got my master's mm-hmm. degree in mm-hmm. mental health and wellness, and mm-hmm. um, with uh, family dynamics and and public administration. Um, and I worked as an admin for two and a half years at half the pay of what I earned as um as as a hygienist wow. um, and I never missed a bill. Mm. I was mm. never evicted. Wow. money was tight, but God provided in mm. many, many ways um with people with just support um you know and and all of those things that it didn't even seem like yeah. i mm. I was getting half the pay, you know? It was just, I lived every day the same. And I, you know, of course I watched what I spent. I didn't do like extravagant things. I didn't vacation or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. I made it. Mm. And it just goes to show that when you're obedient, Mm. that's how I, like, I really looked at that when you're obedient and you listen, he provides, like it's right there. Um, And then, so I became a home, a Q um, in May of 2020. And so it's almost three years. And, um, it's the best job I have ever had. Wow.
0: What an, yeah. Job. What an amazing like steps to get there. Um, something that struck me though, in that, in that story is the fact that you didn't have, it, it wasn't working with the group of people. That was the issue, right? It was mm-hmm. the job itself, mm-hmm. right? It was yeah. the dental hygienist issue, right? So your heart was still about serving that population.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cause you kind of yeah. found,
0: found a home there. You mm-hmm. kind of found, Yeah something that you wanted to do there. Um, I I still think I'm also thinking back about the, your response to yes, I'll take it when you weren't (laughs) going to take that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was probably the first time I can really say that I had, like, I heard God's voice. Mm -hmm. Like that was like, I mean, I literally was like, if I wouldn't have been parked in a parking spot, I probably would have wrecked my car because I was just like looking all around like, where did that (laughs) come from? And like, I really like I got out of the car that I can remember and I walk over to like, you know, the soccer moms over there and they're like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, you know, that job I wasn't going to take. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, I just accepted it. And they're like, what? And I'm like it just flew out of my mouth. I don't know how to explain it. And so it was just that, yeah, that was probably a very defining moment for me. Sure. Um, And, and which led me to, you know, listening again for his voice and to tell me when it was time to leave and where I needed to go.
0: Well, and I also want to, I also want to give you congratulations on the fact that, because it, it, it's very rare that somebody will take a quote unquote lesser job Mm-hmm. um, for a lot less pay and, and stick to that and do a great job. And, um, so that then something comes out of that down the road. But, but to your point, like it, I know it's, it's difficult. Some people just can't do it, but to be able to sort of, I mean, that's a, that's a humility place to be really. Um, I don't know if you've seen it that way, but, yeah. but it, it is, I mean, I have a I have an employee that, that for me, um, that applied for a, a, a more full-time position twice and didn't get it twice. And, a, an administrative position came available and she applied for that and got it and has worked in that position for, for two years and just got a promotion to a bigger position. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I told her was it, it takes a really special person to, um, agree to do something like that for a bigger purpose for a bigger goal for for a bigger mission mm-hmm. um and and she's about that too and so are you so mm-hmm. i just want to encourage you with that because um and, and and let people know that sometimes that's what it takes yeah uh, even though it's not the easiest to do so it, it
1: wasn't and but yet there was such a peace mm. in me and it was such as mm. and actually i don't know it's probably been probably around christmas time i was in the administration building and The administrator that was telling me to get on the helicopter, she said to me, "Um, you know, I, I, I thought you were an excellent dental hygienist and you did great things over there. She said. But your true calling was for you to be a Q and you're doing a phenomenal job. And I thank you for wow. going through what you went through mm. and sticking with us mm. and 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 getting there. Yeah. And I thought, well, that was probably the biggest compliment I could have ever gotten just because it came from her. And, you know, she is a very um, um, open, you know, we work for the state. So, you know, religion really isn't
0: yeah, right. to be
1: spoken of. Mm-hmm. But um, she's very much so we'll talk about her faith and she uh, and she's actually worked there for 55 years i think at this oh, point point. Wow. Um, and she wow. says this is my mission in life and i will stop when god tells me to stop so she's very much about that she's very open about it um she's encourages us even us to be open about where we stand and and do those things and so it's kind of encouraging to hear it from someone like her as well yeah. but no i never really looked at it as like a humility thing i looked at it it was a survival yeah um yeah. and just put it out there that he was going to provide and he provided with with people mm. um you know my the church the people from the church um were so supportive and so encouraging and you know helped in many ways that they probably don't really know they helped um and we we're, we're gonna talk about the hunt family in a little bit, but yeah. um though they, they were the biggest probably people that yeah. um just kept encouraging me and doing things to help me realize that this was where I needed to be hmm. and so you know we we have that special bond as a as a faith church family type yeah. of thing amen so.
0: Well, I'm sure it's evident to you um, the heart and the passion that Amy Jo has in serving some of the most vulnerable in our community. And while many might have stopped there, Amy Jo got involved in even a bigger issue, the foster care crisis. Listen closely at how God is using Amy Jo's journey to serve some of the least of these. And I encourage you to pray about how and where God might desire to use you as well. So Amy Joe, I also know that you're involved with the foster care crisis here in uh, the San Antonio area. In fact, uh, it's uh, probably because of you that Denise and I are now uh, also kind of getting involved with, with you know, uh, what we can do um, here in, in San Antonio. But I understand that you've been involved in that uh, for a little while. Can you tell me a little bit about the crisis in our community and maybe how you got involved yeah, with that. Um,
1: yeah. So I actually wrote some statistics down. Mm. Um, in 2021, where'd it go? There were 3,592 kids in foster care in Bear County, Comal County and the surrounding area. Okay. Um, 2,049 2, were in kinship. So that means that they're s- displaced from their biological parents and placed with somebody in their biological family like a grandparent or an aunt uncle cousin or something um and there was 11,000 no I'm sorry 1,106 waiting for adoption okay um at this time the last statistic I heard there were 57,000 grandparents raising grandkids in Bear County
0: 57,000 mm-hmm. wow
1: so the crisis is there it is real um, I knew a little bit about it because just because I am under the Health and Human Services um, umbrella mm-hmm. and a lot of people that work with me have left C- Child Protective Services, come over. Um, and it's just a crazy, crazy system. Um, but my real involvement was happened probably about the same time I was in the process of leaving my the dental hygiene job and going into this. Um, James and Mindy Hunt. We're friends of ours, farms and Just for church, we we're just, you know, but we talk. We have our girl, their biological kids, and my daughter about the same age, um, but they kind of like was like amazed with my story, and and I, Mandy was had gone through some health issues, and I was helping her with that, and then. Um, she got over those, and they were like, "We're gonna, f- we want to foster to adopt." And I'm like, "Oh," and I don't want to tell too much of their story because I know yeah. James is gonna He's be on James later. Be, yeah. So anyway, um, so when they went into the foster program, they did, they needed what's called a respite caregiver, and so you it's somebody that if they are gonna go out for dinner or whatever, and they don't want to take the foster kids, you have to go through classes to be able to be certified to to watch the kids, you know, and they do background uh, okay. checks and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you know, you they're not you're not putting the kids in more trauma, danger because of the, you know, they're already traumatized and all that stuff. So I took the classes um, and then another couple at the church, they decided to foster. And so I became their respite um, uh, family person. And sometimes I would have four kids at a time and I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and they were all under the age of two. And I'm like, wait a minute, my kid wow. is in, in college. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I doing? But anyway, it was fun. Um, but the other, the other couple, they were like, you know, we, we have so many people in the church and this is pre-COVID so you know we had a lot of people that were like so excited for these families that were the fostering that they wanted to help them and mm-hmm. so we were like let's start a foster care ministry and we're like okay and so we kind of got the our toes in the water and then COVID hit mm-hmm. and so kind of kind of put it on the back burner and then as COVID started to come out um, we got connected with uh, South Alliance, South Texas Alliance for Orphans which is a nonprofit, and they work with the to help protect the services and and kind of help bridge that gap. And so, um, and then as in, you know, in the meantime, during COVID, we had a pastor change and Justin came on. And so we met with him and he um, had happened to come on uh, upon this platform called Care Portal. And Care Portal is a a platform where if a case worker from CPS has a, a family and they're in need of a car seat or a bed or clothes or diapers or whatever it is that that family needs to get stuck, hit the ground running with that foster child that's been placed in their care. Um, and they don't have the means right away to do it. They put it on a care portal and there are churches that, um, are on the platform. And so we get sh- shot, the email. says this is the need. Can we fulfill it? And then you go in. And so it's kind of just kind of like a segue between CPS and the churches. And so, um, it was actually being piloted here in San Antonio when Justin found it. And mm-hmm. so we, again, and it was through the, the Alliance. And so um, we went to the training and we started, um, and there were nine churches in San Antonio that were only nine churches mm-hmm. in San Antonio that were doing it. Um, and so we've served many families. I don't even know how many we've done. Um, and we, guess, And it's it's growing. Um, there's more churches. I can't remember when I went to the last meeting. I think it's like 40-some churches in San Antonio, which still isn't. When you look at the numbers that are in need to the number of what churches are and we're providing for them. Um, but it's really to help also build a relationship with that family mm-hmm. um, and, and, and kind of bring a little bit of Jesus to them. Yeah, um, sure. Some of them are receptive to that. Some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. And so it's just really trying to build those relationships, helping them, and um, providing for people that are, you know, they're trying to serve as well. And so we're just that support system for that service.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. Again, let's let's think about this for a second, right? Like, you know, had you moved on to another dental hygienist job at maybe a private practice or something away from where you are now, right? You probably wouldn't have been introduced to uh, the people coming from child protective services that sort of talk to you about the foster care issues. Right. right? right. And, yeah. and, you know, think about how to t- all those things t- yeah. God is using to tie all those things together right, yeah. in your life. Um, and, and already you, you uh, have a heart for uh, the clients at, at, at the, the center where you're working. And now it expands into, into another area. And, you know, then, then you, I think helped you and, and um, uh, Justin, Pastor Justin, probably brought the Alliance to, to the church mm-hmm. yeah. and had them talk. And so, you know, we were in the crowd and heard that. And um, I connected to the gentleman with the gentleman that was talking, who was a, a good friend of another really good friend of mine who's oh, really? on the board, Mike Shero, who's on the board of yes. the Alliance. Yeah. So Mike, Mike and I go way back um, to um, uh, uh, when he moved to San Antonio, him and Jackie, his wife were part of our church here. Oh. And, um, and so um, then, I get an invitation from Mike to come to their uh, fundraising uh, uh, evening, and I go to the fundraising evening and learn more about the alliance. and so yeah, yeah, it's, it, like, it's pretty cool how Guy yeah, like yeah. makes those connections, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, and we're just still trying. We you know we're it's it's still a struggle a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's 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 we're not I'm not we're not as responsive as I'd like to be at this point. But um, again, my workload's getting better so we can have more time and do that. The other part of the, of the, that they're starting, the Alliance is starting is um, caseworker supporter. So oh, that's um, right. yeah. we own it. A- we don't own a team, we have a team um, and that we can, they'll either have their quarterly meetings at the church um, Mm -hmm. or we can, what we're really working on um, is to do a care package a month for them. And so they can have like snacks in the car or water in the car or coloring books and crayons in the car. So when they do have to take a a child out of their environment in their home Mm -hmm. or something, there's something there to sue the child and to give them some of them may not have been eaten, so have eaten whatever. So they, you know, do that whole, Give them a snack, give them water, give them something to be a comfort toy or something for them to have in the car while they're in transition. Because I'm sure it's it's very traumatic to them.
0: So. Yeah, I the story that they told um, was was pretty heartbreaking about uh, when the kids move on and all they have is the, a garbage yeah, yeah, the garbage mm-hmm. bag. The garbage bag. that was yeah. Yeah, and I've a, seen
1: that. I mean, yeah. I've seen it with with the, with the when they brought their children when they would get their kids, and it was it's unreal. Yeah. It's unreal. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well it's it, it's pretty obvious and I this is in, you know kind of thinking about the connection between all of these things. Um, it's pretty obvious that your work um, revolves what a lot of people might say serving the least of these. Um, you serve um, the, the the folks that you uh, serve and take, take take care of and and help get placed in the community and with jobs and those kinds of things and uh, you're sort of, nine to five job every day. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, all the spare time that you have, my spare time. <laughs> then, then and you're yeah. helping with the, the, the uh, foster crisis <laughs> yes, in, in, yes. in the county. So that's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, but can can you tell, tell us a little bit about what is the maybe the toughest part uh, for you of doing this kind of work?
1: I think the toughest part is finding the resources that we need to help these, any of them, you know, um, like I said, you know, even at work, like there's not a lot of supports for people that have medical issues that, and an and IDD that they can't really readily move out into the community. So those resources are, are that's a, it's a thing. And, and then in the foster care crisis, it's, it is these things like that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not the foster kids. That's just not my thing, but uh, yeah. yeah. But the, the number of kids that are out there that need the support and the number of grandparents, that number just astounds me you know, every time mm-hmm, I hear mm-hmm. it. Um, and some of them just don't really have the means to, to be able to afford it, but they don't want their kids like in the system and living with strangers. And sure. So they're doing what they can do. And so being able to provide those supports and getting those things to them, that that's probably the biggest thing. Um, one of the biggest things. And the other thing is, um, and I really I thought about this um, is, the attitude of others towards these people, mm. um, the, taking the stigma of people with intellectual disabilities mm. away, mm. and looking at who they really are and not at their disability. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we really try to talk uses p- person-centered thinking um, and mm. looking at the person, and instead of saying, you know the diabetic, it's the person with diabetes or and that you meet them where they are, you meet them, you find their goals, you find what they their skills or what they can do. And you meet them where they are. You look at these foster families and, you know, these grandparents, you got to meet them where they are so they can support these kids. When I sit and look at them, and, and you watch that's what Jesus said. Yeah. That's what Jesus does. He meets us where we are mm. to get us to where we need to go. And, uh, and just taking that stigma from all of these families, because a lot of times when people are in the foster care system, it is a family thing. You see kids in the system now have kids in the system, you know? And so it then it comes to be, oh, well, they're just doing this to be in the system, you know? And I don't think it's really that. I think there's bigger root issues that need to be, addressed. And so the same thing with with these people that, you know, a lot of the individuals that are at the facility have family members, they just can't take care of them.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. For whatever reason. So you got to meet that family member and that individual at their Mm -hmm. need and where they are. And that's just hard sometimes to get others that don't see that to see that. It's
0: a human dignity issue, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Does it weigh on you?
1: Sometimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes it does. Um, Especially with the foster system, because really at work everybody has that same heart and sees that mm. same thing. Um, and when it's so everybody struggles with that part of it, um, it's in the community part that you know I don't do a whole lot of the community transition with those individuals, that's, that's a whole other department. Um, but you see it, you can see it, you know. And when they go out, or when you take them out, and sometimes they get looks when they're in the in the restaurant. And, you know, they it, it's it's just human nature, I guess, yeah, of some yeah. people. Um, but I think more so, it bothers me with the foster system because you don't know their whole story, mm. and that's where it's just saddens me sometimes that people are just like, no, I I don't want to be a part of that because they just brought it on themselves. They yeah. make those choices, they do those things, but yet you don't know the real reason.
0: Sure. Did, did you ever think you'd be doing this kind of work?
1: Oh, no. <laughs> never. And foster care was never like in my vocabulary ever yeah. until it came to the church. yeah, and it was a part of the part of our church yeah. and, and that. so
0: well, it's uh, interesting that you you bring up our church right before um, our interview tonight, I was thinking about you and I was thinking about what our, Um, what Pastor Justin's mission statement for, for, you know, for the church is, right? and God's family pursuing God's kingdom in San Antonio as it is in heaven. And everything you have just said tonight meets God's family pursuing God's kingdom in San Antonio as it is in heaven, Um, serving uh, the people of our community in that way. And and really what Outpost 127 does is it exists to tell the stories of, of those who see their vocation as a gospel mission, right? And so not everybody sees it that way. Right. Not everybody um, sees their vocation that way and for, for various reasons, but I'm convinced uh, that every vocation as a Christ follower, we have an opportunity to um, be have it be a gospel mission. Um, we just need to see the importance of what God is doing mm-hmm. in that yeah. in yeah. that work, right? So for, for those that may be listening that are struggling seeing their work that way, do you have any encouragement that you would like to maybe give them or leave them with
1: i just think um um, you know i and i sit back and i talked about my story and i look at it from beginning to end i never thought dental was like you know how do i bring christ into dental i probably really didn't because i personally didn't have that closeness to jesus Mm -hmm. but as i do now but as he stepped forward and he took the lead and i followed um, you find that and you know you just gotta that's all, I mean yeah, it's hard it's easy to say hard to do is to just really turn towards him and and look for that and don't give up hope because it doesn't matter what you do you know if you're a housekeeper you know we have on on our facility it I mean it is from I mean housekeepers to to administration you know there's a wide range of people that work there I mean um, the direct care staff there's hundreds of them that day in and day out work with these individuals and um you know there's have there's all sorts of people and we all have the same mission mm-hmm. i mean even the housekeepers will come in and, and they make somebody's day or you know the, the director will come and, and you know yesterday the the Yesterday, they barbecued for the young lady that was transitioning today, and it was the director, the assistant director of the facility. It's just all that we all have that same desire, and whether we all follow Jesus or not, there's enough people there, I think, that do, that will give that off that that presence of him. Yeah. And so you just got to really focus on that. And, you know, speaking of Justin and his mission and the little thing that the blessing that he says at the end mm-hmm. of, you know, I read that every morning before mm-hmm. I go to work, because that's where I want to be. Yeah. And I just think that that's where you need to. It's it's all in him.
0: Yeah. Amen. I mean, Joe, what an absolute honor uh, it is to hear the story tonight. Like I said, I did not really know a whole <laughs> lot of, of, of this. Um, and it's always great just hear a story kind of for the first time and then think about just how God is weaving it all together and, yeah. and just being amazing in it. So thank you for sharing. I hope uh, this encourages you to even even be bolder <laughs> to share it with other people. And uh, I, I hope that anybody who's listening uh, to this and, and it, it impacts them and allows God to Uh, help them to be more um, a gospel centered in the work that they're doing out there. Yeah. Well,
1: thank you. It was fun.
0: Yeah. Good. Thank you so much. Yes.